verse 2 and twice in chapter 4 uh, in, in, in that she is accused of the sin of fornication. Now in the Bible, fornication, adultery, and harlotry symbolize false religion. It, it symbolizes, if you will, spiritual adultery. Uh, so remember, so we're not talking literally here about physical adultery, although that may be part of what we'll see. But ultimately, it's about spiritual adultery here. Uh, and so remember the story of the prophet Hosea. If you remember Hosea uh, and how God commanded him to marry a woman by the name of Gomer. Remember that? But Hosea, he obeyed God and he married Gomer and Gomer became a prostitute. She became a harlot. She became a streetwalker, if you will. Now, in that story, Hosea represents God, and Gomer represents the nation of Israel who was prostituting herself and joining herself uh, to other gods. Uh, she was committing the sin of spiritual adultery. The Bible says there is no sin physically quite like the sin of sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18 says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. But the Bible says uh, there's no sin spiritually like the sin of spiritual idolatry. James chapter 4 and verse 4 says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God, is an enemy, is against God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself, what, an enemy of God. And so James describes friendship with the world and going to bed with the world as adultery. You see, our lives belong to Jesus, our love belongs to Jesus. If you've trusted by faith in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, you have committed yourself to him, similar as what you would do as a husband to a wife in a sense, uh, and your loyalty belongs to him. But when you begin to allow the world uh, to, de to defile your life, to, to dilute your, your, your love and, and to divide your, your loyalty and, and you, you're trying to love the world and love God at the same time, you can't do it. The Bible says it's impossible. And when you do that, you've committed spiritual adultery. In these last days that we're studying about here, uh, in, in these last days, the world is going to, in essence, prostitute itself by committing spiritual adultery with this lady in red, this worldwide satanic religion. So notice some things about her. Notice her allegiance. Notice her allegiance. We see this harlot uh, as we read there in verse 1, uh, it says, uh, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. So what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, many times, especially in the book of Revelation, we're not left to wonder what something is. Somewhere later, maybe it may be even in a different chapter, but somewhere later uh, you'll find the description of what uh, that meant. So if you'll look on down to verse 15 of this same chapter in chapter 17 you'll see that it says the angel said to me the waters that you saw so what you just read in verse 1 she's sitting on the waters the waters you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations 
and languages. And so you begin to see there uh, what this is. In other words, this lady in red is going to hold sway over the entire world. Everybody and anybody who is somebody will, will join this one world church. Every nation, every tribe, every people will worship at the shrine, if you will, of this one world religion. It's going to be as if in that day denominations are going to cease to exist. Religious liberty and religious freedom are going to be a thing of the past. There's going to be one church and everybody will have to join it. You already see a, a somewhat of a picture of that, maybe not as full-blown as what the book of Revelation is talking about here, but you see that in places like in China. Uh, in China, there's a state church, and that's the approved church. That's the church you can go to, and, and you don't have to worry about necessarily about the persecution there, unless at that church you were to say something you shouldn't say. House churches there are, are totally different. Those house churches are not state approved. They're not government approved. And many times those are where the true believers are. Uh, those are where the places uh, that people have trusted in Christ are, are following and meeting uh, to study God's word. And many times those are sought out and people are drug out of their houses uh, and, and sometimes put in prison, sometimes executed. Uh, many different things have happened uh, to them. And so that's kind of a, a micro picture, if you will, of what's going to happen in these last days with this worldwide church uh, of Satan. There's going to be a worldwide membership in that church. But this really won't be a true church at all. Jesus said, if you'll remember, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But this church we're talking about here will be built on the gates of hell themselves. Uh, it'll be anti-God, it'll be anti-Jesus, it'll be anti-Bible, it'll be anti-salvation, it'll be led by the Antichrist. Uh, one of the, the things that I, I find so amusing sometimes, and especially in more recent years, uh, that you find that even atheists are, are starting their own churches. And it's like, why are they starting a church? Uh, they don't even believe in a God. Uh, they, they talk about praying, but who are you praying to? There's no God you believe in. Uh, and so you see those kinds of things already beginning to lay uh, the foundation for what's going to happen uh, in those days. So it's going to be against Christ, against salvation. Uh, now the name of this woman, as we read in verse 5, is Babylon. Notice it says, on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And so understand that in the Bible, Babylon is a, a symbol or a code word, if you would. Uh, it's a word that, that's meant to symbolize something else, uh, to conjure up a certain image in your mind. Uh, there are places today uh, that are also code words today, certain places that, that can be mentioned and, and it'll cause you to think about something else. For example, you mentioned Wall Street. What do you think of? Think of money. You think of finances. You talk about, you mentioned Madison Avenue. What do you think about? Fashion. You think about clothes. Uh, you mentioned Hollywood. What do you think about? <laughs> corrupt, somebody said. Uh, you think about movies, you think about TV, you think about fame. Well, in the Bible, Babylon is a code word that symbolizes the false apostate religion. Uh, this Babylonian harlot is going to hold sway in the last days over the entire world. Notice also her alliance. You see this in verse 2. 
It says in verse 2, With whom the kings of the earth, talking about this woman, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. So notice these kings represent the various heads of government. An ungodly, unholy alliance between church and government or state is going to take place uh, before the second coming uh, of Jesus Christ. Here in America, uh, we love to talk about the wall of separation between church and state. Well, in the day, in that day, in this day that we're reading about here, that wall is going to come tumbling down. Uh, this wall of separation uh, will be taken down, paving the way for a unification, if you will, between church and state. Church and state are, are going to be together, uh, bonded together. The church and state are always going to have to to guard against two tendencies, uh, that there's always been the tendency for the church to seduce the state, uh, but there's also been a tendency for the state to support the church. And so in these days, there's going to be a fatal attraction, if you will, between the church and the state that's going to result in this marriage uh, very much from the pits of hell itself. And so notice this harlot, this woman of red, in red, is also going to join herself to the beast. Uh, notice verse 3. And he carried me away in the spirit, that angel who had one of the seven bowls, he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on the scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. And so we see there, obviously, this is the same beast that's referred to back in Revelation chapter 13 that we've already mentioned before. This scarlet beast represents the coming world empire uh, that'll be headed up by an individual, the beast, uh, which will oppose God, which will oppose the church and the Lord Jesus Christ. The woman sits upon this beast, symbolizing the commitment that the church and the state are gonna have to each other. This beast is gonna take a bride, uh, described here as we just read, the harlot, uh, because she's gonna be to the antichrist what the church, the true bride is, to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the way the devil always operates. He's always trying to create a counterfeit. And so this, this Babylonian mother and this Babylonian beast or monster are going to unite to form a diverse mixture of secularism, of socialism, of materialism, and humanism, which we're, we're seeing formed even today right before our very eyes. Then notice also her affluence. Her affluence in verse 4. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And so in, in this day, religion uh, that we're reading about there is going to be the big business. Uh, uh, the aisles are going to be empty, but, but the coffers are going to be full. Success is going to be measured uh, in riches, not, but not in righteousness. In gold, but not in godliness. So uh, this church is going to be wealthy. It's going to be material, materially prosperous uh, and have political position uh, that are going to mean more than spiritual power. And as you go on down, you see that verse 5 says, or verse 6 says, uh, I, see, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled 
greatly. And so we see in verse 6 there that this worldwide false church of riches and royalty are going to use its alliance and its allegiance and its affluence to, to literally slaughter millions of true believers and do it in the name of religion, thinking that they've done their God a favor. Uh, that's what surprises John here, to see a day coming when the righteous are going to be murdered by the religious. Not by uh, the, the, the ungodly out there outside the church, but by those who are a part of the religious system here. And, and so uh, we move to the second part that I want you to see, the explanation of the Babylonian mystery in verse 7, uh, down through verse 12, the explanation of the Babylonian mystery. Uh, and so we'll go ahead and read this verse, but we'll come back to it also to pick it apart a little bit more. But notice verse 7 says, But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? So John was marveling at what he saw about this woman and about the blood of the martyrs uh, and about uh, the, the blood of the saints that she had drank. Verse 7 says, But the angel said to me, Why do you marvel? I tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. So understand that in the Bible, a mystery isn't some secret that can only be figured out by some special person, by some special investigator. A mystery is a truth which is previously has been hidden, but now has been revealed to the people of God through the Word of God by the Spirit of God. This mystery is revealed in two parts, because he's going to go on to explain what this mystery is. He doesn't want John to be confused, doesn't want John to not know, he doesn't want us to not know. Notice the first thing, the king that will reign. The first mystery that's revealed is the mystery of the beast. We're told that this beast in verse 7 had how many heads? Seven. Remember, we've talked about that number seven before. Uh, the number seven on your number charts, if you have that, uh, the number seven uh, is the number uh, of perfection. Uh, it's a divine number, uh, but many times that number seven can be used in a, in a negative connotation, and that's what we're seeing here. Uh, we see that here it's seven heads. We know these seven heads represent seven kings. How do we know that? We'll go on down uh, to verse 9. Verse 9 says, This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads, so he's telling us exactly what they are, are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. Verse 10 says, They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, and the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. So get the picture of what John is writing here. John wrote the book of Revelation. When he wrote that, five prominent Roman emperors had already fallen. Julius Caesar, Tiberius, Caligula, Claudius, and Nero. Remember, Nero is the one who burned the city of Rome and blamed it on the Christians. And so even as John is writing this book uh, of the Revelation, the emperor Domitian, who is the sixth, is on the throne. That's what that verse says. Even one is on the throne right now. A and now the other who has not yet come... Who is that? That's the Antichrist who will be the last emperor of the revived Roman Empire. Now, how will this Antichrist come to power? How will he get the entire world to follow him, to make him a worldwide dictator? Well, the answer is found back in verse 8. 
So go back. That's why we skipped verse 8 because we wanted to come back to it here. Notice verse 8. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and to go to and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. So what does all that language mean for us there? Well, this verse is referring back to Revelation chapter 13 and verse 3. Here's what Revelation 13 verse 3 says. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. So what you're going to see is this, this coming worldwide dictator, this beast, is going to live for a short time. Somehow he's going to be killed, but then he, he's going to rise again. What Satan is trying to do there is what we said a while ago. He's always trying to duplicate uh, what God has already done before. And here he's trying to duplicate the resurrection of Jesus. This tremendous miracle is going to deceive everyone who's not received uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know that the word of God teaches that if you won't believe the truth, God will see to it that you believe a lie. If you won't walk in the light, God will see to it that you stumble in the darkness. Here's what the book of Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 3 and verse 4. It says, he who slaughters an ox is like one who kills a man. He who sacrifices a lamb like one who breaks a dog's neck. He who presents a grain offering like one who offers pig's blood. He who makes a memorial offering uh, of frankincense like one who blesses an idol. These have chosen their own ways and their own delights in their abominations. I also will choose harsh treatment for them and bring their fears upon them. Because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not listen. But they did what was evil in my eyes and chose that, that in which I did not delight. And so he says that's why uh, they're going to receive uh, this kind of judgment. And then notice this turn of events explains verse 11. Verse 11 says, as for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. So the beast that comes to power in those last days is going to be the seventh Roman emperor or the seventh emperor of the revised, revived Roman Empire. But he's going to die. Then he'll come back as the eighth, which is the seventh, it says, the eighth emperor of the Roman Empire. In other words, the seventh ruler will be the beast in human form and the form he assumes when he first appears as the beast out of the sea. But the eighth ruler will be the beast in his superhuman form, which he assumes after he's raised from the dead. And that's when he goes wild and brings utter destruction in that last half of the tribulation. And so the next thing we see in this section here. Uh, is that the kingdom will rise. So not only does the beast have seven heads, but verse 7 also said he had ten horns. Uh, what do those horns represent? Well, the part of the mystery is revealed. That part's revealed in verse 12. Verse 12 says, And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. 
And so what we're seeing there is that there's going to rise a, a federation, if you will, of, of ten kingdoms, which will be in effect that revived Roman Empire. Uh, oftentimes the question is, is raised as you begin to look at prophecy in the book of Revelation, especially, is there a place for the United States in prophecy. Will the United States be uh, a dominant force and a major power uh, in the last days? Well, the answer to that question is yes, they will be there, they're, they're, it, but it won't be uh, the U.S. who's going to be the major player. Uh, it's rather going to be more something like the European Union uh, that'll be the dominant force and the major power uh, in the days to come. In fact, one of the most important treaties signed in, in history was signed in 1957 by six European countries. Uh, it was known as the Treaty of Rome. Did you know that? It brought, the, brought about what was called the uh, European Economic Committee. Uh, prior to that, it was called the European Common Market. Uh, but all of that has now been absorbed into the first pillar. There are four pillars of the European Union. I encourage you to study about the European Union to, to learn more about that. Uh, but that has been absorbed into the European Union as that first pillar. And, and we, we've seen history being made right before our eyes. Uh, we've seen, I believe, the sovereign uh, hand of God using those events uh, that have happened throughout history, using events even now uh, in Eastern Europe to, to pave the way for the fulfillment of this prophecy. Uh, back in the 1980s, uh, the Wall Street Journal uh, carried an article uh, with, the, with this headline. It said, United Front, Europe will become economic superpower as barriers crumble. Now, you remember what happened? This was written before a great event that happened uh, in, in Berlin. What was that? The wall, the wall being crumbled, the wall being taken down. And, and so all of that was about to happen, and all of that was written in light of this. And so here's what that article went on to say. It went on to say the vision of Europe as a single market, an economic superpower, is finally becoming a reality. This is the 1980s now. We're in the 2020s. In the process, Europe is becoming a battleground, it said, for the world's major corporations. The region's striking revival results from the elimination of most trade barriers between the 12, which now in the European Union it's 27, nations and growing as some are trying to be added to the European Union uh, who once were squabbling nations of the European community. A reform, it said in that article, uh, that will be nearly complete by the end of 1992 with 320 million, now it's 448 million, uh, prospering consumers. Europe will by then have become the world's single richest market. Then listen very carefully to the next paragraph that they wrote. Here's what they wrote and said back in the 1980s. A majority of Europeans want to elect a president of Europe, which they now have in the European Union. Seminars and advertising campaigns, they said, promoting the new era abound. The once obscure flag of Europe, a circle of 12 yellow stars on a blue background, waves from Copenhagen to Athens and beyond. And so uh, that's already, and that has been uh, since the 1980s, uh, we see that's been 40 years ago that that was written, and that's already come to pass with the European Union. We are pressing forward faster and faster towards those last days. And so evaluating those chain of events, one leader in London said this uh, back in that day, that European unity is the most powerful trend of the second half of this century. We had, our, we had our civil war during the first half, and now we're getting together, and it's irreversible. Dr. Walter Halstein, who was the 
first president of the EEC, said three phases of the European unification are to be noted. First, the customs union. Second, the economic union. And third, the political union. What we have created, he said, on the way to uniting Europe is a mighty economic political union of which nothing may be sacrificed for any reason. Its value exists not only in what it is, but more in what it promises to become. We may fully expect a great fusion of all economic, military, and political communities together into the United States of Europe, which is essentially what the European Union is today. Dr. Halstein said that years and years ago, but I believe he was a prophet unawares because the revelation, the book of Revelation, I believe, makes it clear that the future, at least for a while, is going to belong to a reunited Europe, a revived Roman Empire, which is going to be headed by a modern-day Caesar, a man called the Beast. Uh, he'll take charge uh, with such a vengeance and vigor that he's going to make Europe uh, the dominant world power on earth. Uh, and this revived Roman Empire will be his headquarters and the seat of his power as he reigns over the entire earth. I isn't it amazing how much light the Bible can shed on the news? It's unbelievable. Is there a place for the United States in all this? I don't believe the United States will be the superpower that we are at this time. But the United States will be a part of what is happening all around this world. Finally, notice the exaltation of the Babylonian monster. For a short time, there's going to be a marriage between the unholy church, the ungodly state. You're going to see that the state has never been afraid to use the church to control the people, but this marriage isn't going to last. There's going to be a consolidation of power as these ten nations unite and submit themselves totally to the beast. Look at verse 13. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and their authority to the beast. So their sovereignty of an, as a nation is handed over to this beast. And, and they will say to him, in effect, you do whatever you want to do and we'll back you up totally. And at that moment, the death warrant of the scarlet harlot, the woman in red, uh, her death warrant will be signed because this beast is going to do immediately three things. We see he divorces the harlot. Uh, just continue reading, if, if you will, here. We'll read on down uh, verse 14 and verse 15 and then get into verse 16. Uh, they will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them for he is Lord of lords and king of kings and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. And the angel said to me, the waters that you saw, which we read a while ago, where the prostitute is seated, are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And then verse 16 says, in the first part here, it says, and the ten horns that you saw they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They'll hate the prostitute. They'll make her desolate. And so notice here, this is probably going to take place uh, in the first three and a half years after the beginning of the Great Tribulation, uh, after the first three and a half years of this, you know, the, the, the honeymoon's over uh, for the, after those first three and a half years because all this time it was in essence a marriage of convenience, not of conviction. And so we're going to see that this beast is going to suck all the life out of the harlot. And then when she's empty, he's going to throw her away. She's going to be, he's going to make her desolate and naked. And then it says he devours the harlot. It says uh, they will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh. Uh, that the beast strips the harlot of all of her wealth. Her resources are going to be empty. The cupboard's going to be bare. It reminds us of a poem that says, A smiling young lady from Niger uh, took a ride on the back of a tiger. 
They came home from the ride with the lady inside and a smile on the face of the tiger. <laughs> For a while, the lady in red is going to ride the beast, but it's only a matter of time until the beast devours the harlot. And then notice he destroys her. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. This lady in red played with fire, and in the end, she gets burned. Anytime the church starts playing with the world and pandering with the world, it's going to get burned. And so why does this, why does this beast destroy this, this woman? Why does the monster destroy the mother? Uh, why does the state in the end destroy all religions? Well, first of all, for selfish reasons. You know why communism is so aesthetic and so anti, uh, or so atheistic and so anti-religion? Uh, you know why our government is becoming increasingly more and more hostile toward the church and toward Christians? It's because the state views the church as a threat to its own power. Uh, say what you will, but, but no one can deny the power uh, of religion over the minds of, of people. And, and there are hundreds of millions. I mean, just look at this in, outside of Christianity. There are hundreds of millions of people in the Middle East today who are held together, not primarily because of culture or politics or wealth, but they're held together by a, a fanatical devotion to a religion called Islam. And, and so even outside of it, we see that. And so outside of Christianity, the state is going to have no rival in its ability to influence the minds of people. But this destruction is also for a sovereign reason. Notice verse 17. Verse 17 says, For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. So ultimately, this is all a part of God's plan. And so what a tremendous blessing that one verse is to our hearts because it may appear that this world is on a runaway uh, train down a long hill with no brakes facing uncertain doom. But we read in that one verse, the sovereign God, the sovereign hand of the omnipotent God is on the throttle. He's in full control. And finally, it's done for strategic reasons. Notice verse 18 as we finish. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. In other words, that city ain't going to be big enough for the beast and the harlot. One of them's got to go. And without fail or exception, history has proven that every time a dictator rises to power, the first institution he attacks and subdues and attempts to eradicate is the church. And now, what does all that really tell us? I believe it tells us this, that the answer to man's problems is not in religion. The answer to man's problems is Jesus. And this chapter tells us that religion ultimately is a dead-end street to hell. This world, which is drowning in a sea of sin, that is suffocating under a cloud of darkness, that is choking from its own iniquity, doesn't need religion. This world doesn't need ritual. It doesn't even need its own righteousness. What it needs is an eternal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and to receive his righteousness against our filthy rags. What a message for us in chapter 17. It's only going to get worse when we get to chapter 18. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word tonight. And Lord, as we have seen such devastating things that are looking to happen uh, in these last days, 
remind us, Lord, especially uh, of these verses, especially what we've seen uh, there in verse 17 in particular, that you are still on your throne, you are still in control, and Father, that even though the world may be falling apart around us today and that things are, the stage is being set uh, for the last days, Father, help us to be reminded that you are still in control, that if we will trust in you, you will lead us and guide us each and every moment of each and every day. Bless us, Lord, in the week ahead. May we be faithful witnesses of all you've called us to be and do. And Father, especially for those who may not know Christ as their Lord and Savior, may they trust in him before is too late. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us there online. Thank you for being here in person. Uh, we look forward to seeing you Sunday, uh, Sunday morning, 9.15 for Sunday school, 10.30 for worship. Come and join us. We look forward to, to sharing more with you about Jesus as we're uh, doing a series on Sunday mornings on the life of Jesus. Uh, you come and you'll be blessed. If you can't come, join us there online and you have a blessed week. You stay safe. We'll see you this coming Sunday. Music